just hearing that song, the, the cry of an empty man, a broken and, and wretched man lost in his own sin, but one who's found the Lord, found relief, found peace and contentment, but only in one source, in, in Christ alone. That's uh, ultimately where our life has to turn at every moment, is to turn back to Christ, because in our communication we fail, right? In our communication we fail big. And, uh, and our tongue, our, our emails, our uh, even positioning with our body at times, it communicates a message, right? It communicates a message about what's going on in our heart. And far too often that message doesn't give honor and glory to the God who saved us, who redeemed us. And so I wanted just to share maybe an opportunity about one of life's biggest failures, communication failures in my life that brought some of the greatest uh, heartache uh, to my heart. And it was, it was a, a brief moment. It happened in the Persian Gulf. I was aboard my ship, the USS Antietam, and we had uh, began a, a journey sailing from Phuket, Thailand, and then into the Gulf, and we'd be out at sea for about 110 straight days. And it was in the uh, Persian Gulf that we ran into this... Uh, this circumstance, this scene. I was the conning officer. I was uh, under the charge of the officer of the deck and the junior officer of the deck, so I was third in charge on the, on the bridge of the ship. I had two guys working for me. One was the helmsman, and the other one was the, the lee helmsman, one in control, in, control of the, um, in control of the wheel, the steering, and the other one in control of the throttle on the ship. So I was responsible, really, in particular on the bridge, for the direction the ship was headed in. We had got on the scene of a uh, merchant ship. It was a very large one. It was compliant. It was allowing us to inspect it. And our job was to go and send a boarding team to do an inspection. And after sending the boarding team and dispatching them, our job now was just to keep this ship in our vision and to circle around it so that when our boarding team was finished performing an inspection, they could make it back to us safely and nice and easy. It was headed toward lunchtime. It was about 11 o'clock. The uh, watch was going to be relieved about 11.30, 11.45. And uh, my mind started to drift. And we, I think as a ship, probably were drifting as well. And I wasn't paying too close of attention. I needed to be in contact with the officer of the deck, the junior officer of the deck, the guys on watch, the lee helm and the helmsman. And I started to talk with the guy who came on to relieve me as the conning officer. And little did I know that this, this ship that was laid out to anchor in the center of the Persian Gulf, way up at the head of the Persian Gulf, right off the coast of Iraq and, and Iran, just sitting there, laid to anchor. It's not underway at all. We're underway. We're the ones that are under power. And we're just making a circle around this ship laid to anchor. And as we come around the corner of it, we must have caught a current or something that just took the bow of the ship and pushed it right toward the ship laid to anchor. And what was amazing over that period of time was just realizing that I, I didn't, I looked back and I did not pay attention to what was going on. You got all these guys on the bridge wing. There must have been 12 or 15 of us. And we didn't catch that the ship had drifted toward this, toward a heading that was right at this merchant ship until the merchant ship's shadow covered the captain's soup, which is to say, we were within three or 400 yards of this ship, and we should have never been that close. And we were on a heading to take out its bow. And 
we got so close to the ship that their bridge and our bridge were looking at each other in complete astonishment. How did this happen? Well, fortunately, the officer of the deck, a good friend of mine, his name was Floyd, he called left full rudder, and I had already relieved my watch. The other officer and I, we weren't paying attention to where the ship was going. We were talking about all the things that the ship had going on at that point in time, except for where it was headed. I just was thinking about my communication with regard to this. How did we miss the most important thing? Where is the ship headed right now? It left me in such anguish, this failure of communication on the bridge wing. It left me in such anguish in my heart that when I walked away and I closed the door and, and left the other man to sort out what had happened and left the officer of the deck, who was my boss at that time, left him to sort out what had happened, uh, I, I was completely burdened. I went down to my stateroom. I tried to go eat lunch, and I couldn't. I went back to my office, and anxiety gripped me, so much so that I could barely get out from underneath myself. I was stuck, and I couldn't breathe. I, 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 was, I was physically um, affected by this failed communication. I wanted to get out. I wanted to run away. I wanted to go somewhere and hide. At the same time, I knew that the only way that this situation would resolve itself is if I took myself back to the point of conflict and re-engaged to try to understand what just happened. Did, how did I fail? How did I go wrong? It was so taxing on my heart that I went back up to the bridge wing and I told the officer of the deck, the new officer of the deck, that I needed to be the conning officer. I wanted to relieve the guy that I had just been relieved by. And he allowed me to, and I took over and, and was able to go on that ship and try to build confidence back in. But how did communications fail so much? How, how do we break down so poorly in communication on that bridge wing that our 456-foot naval vessel, which if we had hit that ship would have created an international incident, we were within four seconds, literally four seconds, of that international incident. And it happened on my watch, when I was the one in charge, when I was responsible. Where did the communication break down? Where did it fail? Communication failures have effects. They have effects because communication is either poor or it's good. Because communication at its heart is relational. It's a relational activity. It has relational effects. And on that bridge that day, there was a lot of relationships that were affected and impacted by that. I watched Floyd take responsibility for that in the following days, and I, and I was amazed that he took responsibility. You would expect that of him, though, right? He was the officer of the deck. He took charge, but I was his boss. I was under him. He was my boss. What does that communicate to you when your boss takes responsibility for the communication failure? I learned a lesson that day about communication. Poor communication leads to superficial and strained relationships, whereas good communication will bring companionship and oneness. In Floyd's communication regarding that whole situation, his taking responsibility, he became a companion and a real friend of mine. And where our relationship may previously have been superficial or strained, or it could have been as a result of that situation, it wasn't because of his honesty, his integrity, his proper and good communication. See, with, with communication, you're either going to have discord and conflict or you're going to have harmony and peace. Discussion of issues will remain unclear and unresolved or there will be clarification and quick resolution. And there's even more effects of communication. Poor communication affords wrong ideas which find a welcome home while wisdom is thwarted 
That's what you get with poor communication. At the same time, if you have good communication, it does exactly the opposite. Good communication corrects wrong ideas, and it creates an atmosphere receptive to forgiveness and truth, thereby giving the opportunity for wise decisions to abound. Poor communication gives rise to a root of bitterness. I can imagine because we didn't have everybody go back up to the bridge wing and talk about it, some of the guys up there probably had left inside of them a root of bitterness about the failures of the other guys that were responsible for things on the bridge as well. What happens in a marriage if there's a root of bitterness because of poor communication? What happens in a marriage if you have a poor communication uh, process over years? What happens in a marriage? Well, marriage is affected this way. Because we're relational beings, because communication is necessary for us to sustain life, if there's failure in a marriage communication and if there's a root of bitterness that developed, inevitably, one of the spouses is going to go outside of the marriage relationship to engage in a relationship that has communication that seems profitable and beneficial. You can see that's deadly. That's opportunity for destruction. Clearly then, not all communication is the same. Not all communication is the same. In fact, communication has polarity which is to say communication is like magnets. It has a positive and it has a negative charge. Communication is either helpful or it's hurtful. It's either right or it's wrong. Communication is either just or it's unjust. But as we move to these definitions, I want you to consider these definitions. I'm going to read them to you and I ask yourself the question, do you hear anything about polarity, about positive and negative in these definitions? Is there a hint of polarity in these definitions? Here's the first definition of communication. Communication is a process by which information is exchanged between individuals through a common system or symbols, signs, or behavior. It's a good definition, but there's no polarity. You've got a system for exchange of information between individuals, but there's nothing in the way of a worldview that's driving that definition. It's just information. There's a legal definition of communication. The legal definition would put communication as this. The expression to another of information or thoughts through speech, writing, or gestures. Again, just a straightforward definition. It's a simple one. But there's also no polarity. We don't understand that this could be two college roommates yelling at each other over one of them leaving the socks on the table. Or it could be the sweetness of words exchanged between a mother and a newborn baby the expression to another of information through speech, writings, or gestures. So we have this expression of information to another. This definition is is simple, it's plain, it's even dry and dull. Though we know that communication is, is not dull, right? Communication is not dull. Communication is loaded with a value system and a belief system, a worldview that comes behind it. In fact, in communication, the soul of a person is behind their communication. And who would ever say about a person who's expressing themselves through communication that that soul is dull? Are there such things as dull souls? Far from it. You know, if if we said that, if we said that there's such things as dull souls, inevitably there'd be protesters outside our building saying, dull souls matter, and they'd be picketing and protesting us. Speaking of dull, listen to this last sterile definition, this medical definition of communication. 
the act or process of transmitting information. That's pretty straightforward. The act or process of transmitting information. Is communication this dull and this boring? Is this the way you experience communication in your life? Is communication just an act, a system, a process in which we participate mindlessly? Are we just transmitting, expressing, and exchanging information? And and what about this word that keeps coming up in these definitions? There's this one word that keeps coming up. One word is consistent in all of them. This, This one word helps to create these definitions to be sterile, dry, weak in their understanding of communication. The, the word that I'm, I'm looking at and thinking of, you can see it on, on those definitions, is it the word information? When, when you see information there, does it make you feel like you're in a hospital room wearing a gown? It's, it's sterile. It's, it's dry. Is that all? Is that it? Just information? Communication just pushes data like info, ones and zeros like a computer? Is that the extent of communication? I don't think so. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. Communication is, is doing way more than pushing information. It might be convenient and sterile and non-offensive to describe communication in this way, but communication is, is far more than information. Communication is divine. It was first done by God. The root of communication was love, joy, and all that is well-pleasing to God. Communication comes from a value system. It has an author. There is an authority over it, even a supreme authority over all of communication, a supreme authority that is perfect. Communication comes from the mind of God. Perfection should be our target in communication. In fact, God says to Moses in Leviticus 19.2, he says, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And God's Son, Jesus Christ, came and said the same thing in Matthew 5.48. Therefore, you are to be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Apostle Paul picks up on this. We see it in our text in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Therefore, be imitators of God. Therefore, be imitators of God. And from the weight of these commands, you should feel far separated from God with regard to your communication. A quick glance in the mirror reveals to us that we have little value for communication, that we treat communication as information, cheap, sterile, dull, that we dismiss the polarity in communication, The instant segregation and split, the division between good communication and poor communication. We play games with that. We don't recognize that. And and we miss the heart of communication, which is love, joy, splendid pleasure of God in righteousness and holiness before Him. So go back to those definitions. Go back and look at those again. Because God owns communication. Communication is a perfection of His. And these definitions need a revamp if they are to describe communication on God's terms. What one word would we add to fix these definitions? What one word would we sub out for the word information that just appears so dry and sterile and dull? 
What one word would fix these to call them into conformity with God's character? Anyone want to take a stab at it? I think those might, be, those might be beneficial and helpful. The one that I came up with was love. Look at those definitions and read them again with me if we insert the word love in there. Every time that you see the word information. How does this read to you? Verse, uh, the, the first one. Communication is this. Communication is a process by which love is exchanged between individuals through a common system of symbols, signs, or behavior. Now we're going somewhere. Now there's got passion in there. The the dullness and the sterile nature of this just kind of evaporates. Look at the legal definition. The expression to another of love or loving thoughts through speech, writing, or gestures. And then the medical definition actually gets quite an uplift. When you change it to the definition that might say this of communication, the act or process of transmitting love. Well, that's a breath of fresh air. I'm not sure about you, but when you do that revamp, and you think about the act or process of transmitting love regarding communication, it's got me thinking two things. And it might have you thinking these two same things. Number one is this change is necessary, right? This change for the definition of communication, this is necessary. Because communication is owned by God. Information is a cheap human word assigned to communication which removes all moral judgments. Because information, in that sense, is neutral. Information is neutral. But is all information neutral? No, there's polarity. It's either headed toward the righteousness of God or it's the wickedness of men. By making communication about love, we remove any opportunity for neutrality by acknowledging the never-ending union of these two perfections of God, His ability to communicate and His love. And we are restoring communication to something with eternal implications for joy and the splendid pleasure of God as opposed to leaving communication dull, impotent, sterile, and neutral, exempt from a supreme moral authority. So changing information to love is absolutely necessary. We would all agree with that. That's number one. The second thing that this causes for me, when I'm looking at it, this definition has a negative impact on me. This new definition, it has a negative impact on me. You might feel the same way. Uh, look, Look at that again. It says... So simply, the act of communication is the act or process of transmitting love. And we think about how much we communicated today and yesterday and last week. And when I think about that, I feel shame. And I feel guilt. And there's four reasons why I feel these way, or this way. Number one is, is for not knowing or desiring more of the perfect communication that God has given not, not desiring or knowing more of the perfect communication that God has given. He's revealed so much to us in Scripture. He's communicated to us. Over thousands of years, He's communicated His Word to us in all of His ways and all of His wisdom and knowledge. And an understanding of perfect communication is in the Bible. It's right there for us. Oh, let alone the Scriptures there being there for us. We have the opportunity to commune with God every second of every day in prayer. And I think to myself, where are you? Where are you with this? And my shame and my guilt go up. That's number one. Number two would be for not believing and and trusting the communication from Him which we already have received and know far too well. Just being obedient to what I know that God has said to me. 
And you don't have to go very far in your Bibles if you're already in Ephesians there to look at chapter 5 and look at verse 22 and 25. You know, 25, guys, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know this verse. Are we practicing it? Is that what our communication lends itself to? Number three, I'm ashamed and I feel guilt for making a practice of treating communication as neutral, as information, by taking the gift of communication for granted. Communication is a gift. Uh, Not everybody is born with the opportunity to speak. You can have speech taken from you and and the opportunity to communicate words. What are we doing with the opportunity to communicate to others? And number four, for having little or no regard to conform our communication into an act of transmitting love. Little or no regard to conform, to conform, to bring our communication in line with God's method of communication who acts continually to transmit love to us. You know, we know better. We, we perfectly have the ability to distinguish between good communication and bad communication. So I would ask you the question, what makes for good communication? I'm, and I'm asking you, go get, talk back to me, tell me, tell me something. What makes for good communication? What do you need to hear when someone's speaking truth to you? What, what, what do you hear? What does good communication sound like? Sounds like love. What else does it sound like? It comes in, in what ways? What, what are the qualities that would bring about honesty? Okay. Compassion, right? Honesty, compassion. Communication would be humble, absolutely. It would ask true. It would be true, right? It would conform to truthfulness, right? Joyful, yeah. Yeah, here's a few other things that good communication conforms to. Good communication has an objective. Good communication is complete. It's also correct. Good communication is communication that's appropriate. It's timely. It's thoughtful. It's also concise, right? You're not going to let me talk to you about communication for five hours tonight, right? We're not not going to hang around. So good communication will have an ending point. You'll stop at one hour, yes. It's appropriate, it's truthful, it's concise, it's thoughtful, it's correct, it's timely. Well, what about this one, truthful? Why do we like truthful in good communication? Well, because truthful conforms to the holiness of God. Ultimately, the characteristic of the best communication is communication that conforms to holiness. Holiness. Why holiness? Because God is holy. And he is the author of all communication, the original communicator. Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be light. And from his holiness, he saw that it was fitting to communicate the world into existence. Ex nihilo. He spoke it into existence, out of nothing. Any communication worthwhile must conform to the perfections of the creator. Okay, turn in your Bibles to Luke 4-22. I want us to consider the word of God. I want us to consider particularly the God-man, Jesus Christ himself, who is the image of the invisible God, who bears the exact representation and nature of God. And I want to ask to answer the question, what did people say about Jesus' ability to communicate? Luke 4.22 has the answer. So if you're there in Luke 4.22, this is what it says. It says, And all were speaking well of Jesus. 
and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? In amazement. Then you can turn to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. I won't ask you to do that right now. But in chapter 7 of Matthew, listen to what is said of Jesus as the communicator in this passage. When Jesus had finished preaching the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Well, from Luke 4.22 and from Matthew 7.28 and 29, it's pretty easy to understand that Jesus is a perfect communicator. God himself is a perfect communicator. The Holy Spirit, we would all agree, having the same nature, the same essence as God the Father and God the Son, is a perfect communicator. The Bible, then, is a manual for perfect communication. So, brothers and sisters, in the church, in Christ, in the Holy Spirit, we have all that we need, all the reason and all the ability to perform communication perfectly. What hinders us? We're hindered by our flesh. These things ought not be so, but they are. Do we let it stay there? We just leave it at that answer, at the flesh? Or is there an opportunity for us to deny the flesh, to pick up our cross, to follow Christ, and to change our communication. How, then? How shall we change our communication? How shall we communicate? Well, you're there in Ephesians, or turn back to Ephesians. You were looking at chapter 5. Look back at the end of chapter 4. Previously, we'd read that Paul's exhortation to us was to be imitators of God in Ephesians 5.1. This command begins with a therefore, and I want to take you back and look at what creates the therefore. So we're going to look at chapter 4, verses 20 to 21. In verses 20 to 21, Paul is say, he says that believers have learned, heard, and been taught about Christ in a particular fashion, in a particular way, in a certain way, in Ephesians 4, 20 to 21. And that the way of Christ is, in verse 23, the putting off of the old self. In verse 24, the being renewed in our minds. In verse 25, the putting on of our new self, which is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. There's our word, holiness. Put on the true righteous and true holy character of God. These are the facts. This is the pattern of life. Dump the old. Renew the mind. Put on the new self. So read with me now from verses 25 to 32. Paul says this as he continues writing to his audience. He says, Therefore, laying aside all falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must no longer steal, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. 
Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. This section of Scripture is about communication. You, you look back through there and you can see communication with the devil. You can see communication with the Holy Spirit. You can see communication in a community. You can see communication within yourself, with your heart. And you can see four fundamentals of communication from verse 29. And a primary one right there in verse 25, speak truth. We're going to look at these. We're going to look at four fundamentals of communication that we draw right out of this passage from verses 25 and 29 particularly. So go back and look at 25. Four fundamentals of communication. This, these four fundamentals are going to be a grid. They're going to be a filter for us. And we're going to walk through this and look at these and grab hold of these so that when we think about our own communication, our communication must now, from now on, it must go through this filter, through the Ephesians 4.29 filter. You need these four fundamentals as a filter for your life and for your mouth to protect you from being unholy and unrighteous in your communication. So you're looking at again at verse 25, and here we see the first fundamental. It appears again in 29, but I want to pull it from 25 because it says it very plainly. What two words jump off the page at you as I read verse 25? Listen, it says this, Therefore, laying aside all falsehood, Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And all God's people said, what two words? Speak truth. Truth is what accords with righteousness, what matches the holiness of God. This is communication fundamental number one. Communication must be holy. Write that one down. Communication must be holy. As ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King, we make it our aim That only honesty comes from our lips. We go to great lengths to guard our lips from deceit, including these things. Outright lying. Exaggeration. Speaking half or partial truths. Even evasion in conversation. Ducking the truth and not answering in full. Okay, raise your hand if you're convicted by these from what you said earlier today. (laughs) This is the thing though with us, right? Outright lying, maybe not so much with this crowd. Maybe not so much. Exaggeration, most definitely. Speaking half or partial truth, I would imagine so. Evasion, ducking the truth and not answering in full, oh yeah, that's going on. We have reason to put these away from us. Who gets a pass? Who gets a pass on the command to speak truth? In Ephesians 4.25, anybody want to ask God for a pass when you're standing before Him in heaven? You're going to ask Him for a pass on communication? What about the sister who has a husband who is a continual drunk? What if your child is one who acts irresponsibly? Do you get a pass because your child acts irresponsibly? What if the boss is a real pain in the neck and he's always on you, writing you with questions about your performance? Do you get a pass in your communication with the boss? Do you get a pass when your child has been disrespectful and disobedient? You don't get a pass, do you? No passes are given. The same standard applies. Communication must be holy. Next, let's take a look at verse 29. It starts out with these words. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. 
All four fundamentals are here. First is a recap of the need for holiness. Paul says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. This is no unholy word. Only words matching the holy standard of God should come out of you. This is what speaking in truth is. Then look at what's next in verse 29. But only such a word as is good for edification. The takeaway here is be brief for purposes of clarity. Use few words, only such a word as is good for edification. The point here is to be clear. Communication fundamental number two is that communication must be clear. Use the words needed. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 37, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of the evil one. And we read in Proverbs 10, 19, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. As followers of Christ, we must seek to bring edification through holy words, choosing to limit our speech to what is most necessary. For, for clarity, we should pray about what to say. For, for clarity, to, to bring clear thoughts, we should think carefully about the needs of the moment. We should speak concisely. We should avoid any appearance of manipulation or tactics in our speech. We must also be ready to define our terms and drive toward accurate understandings of the things that we're saying and trying to communicate. This will help to keep our message clear and helps remove opportunity for transgression. Following along in Ephesians 4.29, next we read that our word of edification should be according to the need of the moment. In the Navy, we call this situational awareness, which is a great term to bring in your house when you have teenagers. Situational awareness. That would be the moment in time. The need of the moment, the moment in time. And this is communication fundamental number three. Communication must be timely. Communication must be timely. Proverbs 25.11 paints a pretty picture for us with these words about timeliness. It says this, Proverbs 25.11, like, it says this, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Apples of gold in settings of silver. Those are words spoken in right circumstances. Timely means two things for us. Timeliness means two things. One is say what needs to be said soon. Don't delay unnecessarily. Circumstances might demand delay, but don't stay perpetually delayed. Stuart Scott says this about delay. He says, when we wait without good reason, we are giving the devil opportunity to use the situation for evil. That's not good. It's going to work out bad. We need to go back and address these things. So don't wait needlessly, which then drives the next concern, which is number two, find and seek out a good time to pick up the conversation. Important communication should never be rushed. Don't budget for a conversation that requires 40 minutes. Don't budget a 20-minute conversation in the parking lot after church. And then go out there and take up the whole 20 minutes talking from one side as if it's a monologue. We only get to do that from the pulpit, the monologue thing. 
Give no time, giving no time for a response. We don't want to do that. So allow for time. Create a time when there'll be time for an exchange of ideas. Don't choose 8.30 p.m. to start a conversation that you know if you put some thought to it, it'll go for two hours. Don't do that. Have a reasonable expectation about how long a conversation needs. Use wisdom to choose a time that gives everyone a chance to think, to be in a right frame of mind, to be well-fed, to be undistracted, to afford dialogue and not monologue. If you lack wisdom with this, you can, as we heard this morning, you can ask the Lord for wisdom. He'll give you wisdom to discern what time would be a good time to have a conversation. And then one more. Right now, you've got holy, clear, and timely communication. This is the mandate for communication that we're pulling out of Ephesians 4.29. But look at one more. Read again with me the text. It says this, that last part of 4.29, so that it will give grace to those who hear. In this text, we have the so that, which is always an indicator of purpose. And the purpose is communication principle number four, communication fundamental number four, purpose. Have a purpose. So that, right? Why are we talking? So that. So that what? Well, here, so that you can remove your unselfishness. Said that wrong. So that you can be unselfish. The text says that your purpose in communication is to give. It's not about you. It's about the other person. Is your communication always about the other person? Or far too often is your communication about you? Here, the purpose is to be unselfish. This is your offering to the person that you're communicating with. You're offering to your spouse in your marriage to be unselfish, to add something of value to the other person. You choose to give. And what do you give in communication? What are you giving unselfishly? You give grace to those with whom you speak. This is your purpose. This is your motivation. Your heart's desire is to use your mouth to give to somebody else grace. What an incredible purpose in life, right? What a great way to use our mouth. In giving grace, you will never react according to feelings or pride. In giving grace, you will never attack the other person in anything that they've said to you, but rather you will always use words to accomplish good, to put every effort to solution, understanding, even this, to restoration. We use our words, we use our communication to do restoration work. Why restoration? Why settle on that word? Well, this is what Christ has called us to, is a ministry of reconciliation. Listen to the beauty of this from Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, what he tells the Corinthians church. He says this, you know 17 very well. I'm going to read 17, 18, and 19 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Brothers and sisters, we have a purpose in life. If we have been reconciled to God through Christ, we need to offer that same reconciliation on a horizontal level to everyone that we interact with in life. 
Our purpose is a ministry of reconciliation. Our words must match our purpose. Communication has four fundamental components against which you must judge and evaluate your own speech. These are the grid, the filter, that your speech must be matched up against. This needs to be the checklist. This, this should be the burden on you when you leave a conversation at home or leave a conversation at work. You should jump in the car and have this checklist in front of you. Was my communication holy? Was it clear? Was it timely? Was it purposeful? How are you putting your tongue to use? Do you have control over it? Do you use it purposefully for restoration? If not, there are three consequences to consider. What are the consequences of failure in communication? You can turn in your Bibles to Matthew 15. We started this evening talking about the effects of communication. But what are the larger consequences of communication? If effects are the local and the micro scale, what are the macro and the eternal consequences of failures in communication? While you're turning to Matthew, I want to read to you from James, and I want you to see some things from this text in James. So hold your position at Matthew 15 and listen with me to what James says, some thoughts of his on communication. He says this about communication, particularly about the tongue. He's, he's making an analogy that little, little things like ships are steered by small things like rudders. Okay? So the analogy goes, boats have rudders. And then he says this, so also the tongue, the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of birds and beasts and reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not be this way. He says that the tongue can set on fire the whole course of your life. This isn't a cleansing fire. This is a fire of total destruction, perfectly joining with the fires of hell. And number one, it, it offers a fully destroyed life as a consequence of communication failure. That's one consequence of communication failure. A fully destroyed life, a fully destroyed life. And consider his comment about how the tongue defiles the whole body. Where did he get this from, this, this idea that the tongue defiles the whole body? Look at Matthew 15, 11. You got it right there in front of you, Matthew 15, 11. James was paying attention to the words of his brother Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 15, 11, it is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. So defilement is number two. Defilement is a consequence of communication failure. Number one, a fully destroyed life. And number two, defilement is a consequence of communication failure. And while you're there in Matthew, at Matthew 15, turn back to Matthew 12. I want to read this passage with you as well. Because there's a third consequence for failure in communication. Christ 
says here in Matthew 12, 34 to 37. In response to a question to challenge him, he says this to the Pharisees. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Number three is judgment. It's the ultimate consequence of failed communication, judgment. Because communication comes from a heart disposition, a heart that the Lord knows all too well, and He will judge you for that. Judgment will be eternal. You know, several years ago, I was in a growth group at my home church, and I had an opportunity to invest in a young man and his family. They came to our church. They were struggling in their marriage. They had challenges that were considerable. They came to our church, and they weren't believers. They showed up because they thought it would be a good place to try to find help. So that's what you do in a growth group. You just step in and get involved in people's lives. And you can imagine words in this marriage were not few. Words were many. They were abounding, and they were not kind words. Speech was not under control, and and defilement by the way of the tongue was rampant between this husband and wife. And I'll never forget the night going out to dinner with this, this young man. I'll call him Ross. My wife had to help me with a selection of a restaurant because Ross was vegetarian and vegan. He was rigid and strict about his body and what went into his mouth. So much care and concern for the food intake. Even willing to go out of his way to the right restaurant and pay a premium price for good, clean, non-genetically modified food. And all this worked for Ross because Ross was lean, fit, trim, healthy. But all the health food in the world could not overcome the stench and wretchedness of the defiling that covered him that he allowed his mouth to pour out continually. I marveled. I marveled sitting across and watching him eat his food and thinking about the things that he was telling me that he would say to his wife. How could it be the case? Incredible focus on the flow of food going in. Zero recognition of the filth that continually flowed out. How many of us are so concerned with the food that goes in with no, concern, no care at all, no concern at all about the words that are going out. What is it again that Christ said defiles you? What is it that James picked up on and said defiles you? What will bring judgment on top of your head? It has nothing to do with whether or not you're eating genetically modified organisms. It has everything to do with the words that you're speaking in every context of life. And again, I say with James... Brothers and sisters, this ought not to be the case. We must take great pains holding our own speech up to the filter that Ephesians 4.29 presents to us. The filter of communication that is holy, clear, timely, and purposeful. Heaven forbid our testimony of Jesus Christ is compromised by our failure in speech. Defiling judgment and destruction would follow. But we have this proverb that was given to us, and let's put it to practice. Proverbs 21, 23 says, He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul 
from troubles. He who guards his mouth and tongue guards his soul from troubles. Let me give you a couple of ways that you can respond to communication. One of the great joys about being in the Navy was uh, an opportunity to learn some of the ship's weapon systems. And one of the most powerful weapon systems on the ship was the radar. The radar was an Aegis weapon system. It allowed us to see over the horizon in one direction, west, east, north, south. You could see 365 miles in any direction, 360 simultaneously. We're looking at this, and we're seeing contacts being drawn into this sphere, this bubble, 700-plus-mile-wide bubble that we have the opportunity to make contact with any target that comes in. We can see, we can respond, we can act wisely when these contacts engage us. I, I want you to consider how you respond, how you need to have a radar system for your own communication, that this filter can be very helpful in creating a radar for your own communication, what's going to come out of you. So three opportunities to respond to communication. Because communication is going to come at you all the time. And if God is abiding with you and in you, you should be able to respond correctly in each of these three circumstances, in each of these three cases. The first case would be if communication directed to you is righteous. So now you have righteous communication inbound. Here comes righteousness. I see it on the radar screen. I picked it up. I've determined that that communication coming in is, is righteous. It should be easy to receive righteous communication, even joyful Clearly, this is the case when someone says to you, praise the Lord, my foot is healed. Or, praise the Lord, what a great message this morning. We can receive that communication. But what about when righteous communication is is not what you want to hear? Remember, righteous communication affords with truth. So what about if, if you're told you have cancer by your doctor? Or if you're under church discipline and you were told by the pastor to repent of your sinful ways? Would you be thankful That's righteous communication, by the way. It's true. It it affords with righteousness. Or more commonly, you were told that you have a piece of salad in your teeth. That's righteous to say the truth, right? Do you receive those messages with love? Would you love to hear those messages? Do you thank the person for saying the truth to you? Brothers, we are those who love the truth, so yes, We would love that someone who spoke to us in righteousness, and we would need to respond in righteousness as well, always. Okay, so that's if righteousness comes in. But number two, if if communication is directed at you in unrighteousness, what patterns or habits come out of you when this is the case? What thoughts do you have to contend when someone speaks unrighteously to you? These scriptures should go through your head when someone speaks to you unrighteously. Romans 12, 18. If possible, so as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. Do not answer a fool according to his folly or you will also be like him. Answer a fool as his folly deserves, that he will not be wise in his own eyes. What these verses tell us is that we can live at peace. We can apply grace when unrighteousness comes on our radar. We don't owe the fool an immediate answer. We can flee immorality and escape wickedness. And yet in those instances, we also must circle back around. 
because there's need for a confrontation. We must face and reject unrighteousness and ungodliness, but we must do this in the right time, season, and place. So those are the ways that we respond to unrighteousness when it shows itself on the radar screen of our life. But then what if we can't tell, number three, what if we can't tell if this communication is righteous or unrighteous? What do you do in that instance? What if it comes on the radar and it's not clearly identifying itself as an enemy or a friend and it's moving awkwardly across your radar and you can't quite pick up and make sense of what this communication coming in is? What do you do in that instance? Turn to 1 Corinthians 13. I'd ask you this question. Is it okay to be lied to? Is it okay to be lied to? As a Christian brother or sister, is it okay to be lied to? Yes and no. Yes and no. Does being lied to or, or believing a lie, does that take away your salvation? Doesn't take, it couldn't, couldn't possibly take away your salvation, right? God owns my salvation, and God perfectly knows the heart of anyone that would lie to any of us. We must have confidence in God that He owns truth. And God is responsible for making truth known. Lies will be found out. Time and truth go hand in hand. I can take your confession of faith. I can take your assertion that you have never hit your wife because I know this. Time and truth go hand in hand. Given enough time, the truth will come out. The life of a liar will be known. I'm thinking specifically about a counseling room here. Can a man tell me that I've never hit my wife before? Can, can, I, can I receive that? What am I supposed to do with that when, when a man says that to me? What does 1 Corinthians say? 1 Corinthians 13. Look at this passage with me. Verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. You know, brothers and sisters, we don't want to be lied to. We want the truth to abound. We want righteousness to abound. But we understand, and we should always understand, that in the context of this life, what can you expect from human beings? You can expect lies. Is it okay for us to be lied to? No, not in this sense. We should ask for righteousness. We should demand and expect righteousness. But yes, in this sense, if you tell me that you're a believer and you tell me that you haven't hit your wife, that's fine. I will believe you. I will walk with you. We will try to put life back together. But in the course of that walk, you must understand that time and truth will go hand in hand and the truth will have its way. The truth is unstoppable. It will be made known. And so you can lie to me, but I know this. The God that I serve in the Bible is the God who knows all truth, and you can't hide from him. So when it comes to communication, is it okay if I'm lied to? Yeah, because your lie is known by God perfectly. These things should affect our communication, particularly holy communication, timely communication, clear communication, and purposeful communication. Let those be the things that dominate our relationship with our spouse, our relationship with each other, and our relationship with the watching world. I pray these things would be the case in your life. Let me do that now. Father God, we're so thankful for this opportunity to talk about 
communication, we understand that you are the author and perfecter of our faith, but you're also the one who is the perfect communicator. Lord, would you help us in our communication? Help us to use this grid that comes out of Ephesians 4.29 and so clearly shows us what our communication must be like. And Lord, for all the places where we failed in communication, let us understand Romans 8.1, there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Lord, we can offer confession, repentance, and ask forgiveness and be restored and obey you. We, we don't have to be left into sin. We can fix relationships. Help us to be the ones to do this. Lord, lead us, guide us. Let us bring more glory to you every day we live our life. You have purchased us with a price and secured eternal glory. And we're so thankful for these things. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.